If you were to think about the places that you've lived during your life, have you had any really good neighbors, you know, people that made living in that location a real joy? Good neighbors can do that. But then, can you remember living next to some really bad neighbors? Bad neighbors make life miserable. Sometimes a major factor in moving is a bad neighbor. Well, on this episode of the Discover the Word podcast, the group is going to continue a series of conversations they're having called Me and My Neighbor. And over the next hour, we want to explore together what it means to be neighborly and how one of Jesus' most familiar parables was told in response to the question, Who is my neighbor? The Discover the Word group is getting together next, and I hope you'll join us. And welcome to Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries. Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry are the regular members of this group, and they always have a chair at the table reserved for you as well. Well, for this study, it is Mart and Elisa and Bill who are going to begin part two of our look at Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. And of course, remember if there are some things from part one that you need to go back to, our discovertheword.org website has the audio available so that you can catch up. They'll review quickly what we've covered in part one in just a few moments. But the full conversations are available free of charge at discovertheword.org and also wherever you normally go to get your podcasts. Okay, so this part two is going to be about being neighborly. Would you say that you are a good neighbor? Is there a checklist you could fill out? Or would it probably be more accurate if we could knock on your neighbor's door and just ask them? Well, discover with the group in this first segment what it is in us that when turned on, makes us a good neighbor. Elisa is leading this study, and so she's the one who's going to get us into part two of our study, Me and My Neighbor. There's an old term that's often used in how we respond to those people that we live closely to, you know, our neighbors. It's called being neighborly. What does that bring up for you? What do you think of there? Growing up in the South, I think being neighborly was kind of like the secular equivalent of practice the golden rule. Do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. And that's kind of being neighborly. Right. When you ask the question, what does that mean to you? I think back over the time of my life when my neighbors as a child lived a bit away from me, the closer the neighbors have gotten, the less involved we have been. Interesting. Like I remember when we were first married, we moved into an apartment. Well, now you got one wall Mm -hmm. between yourself and the family. So it was almost like you didn't hardly talk to them. Too close. Too close. Uh uh This concept being neighborly, I want to dig into this this week. We've been spending some time in this story of the Good Samaritan, who is kind of the quintessential stereotype of a, quote, good neighbor. In fact, we see that phrase used all the time about somebody who is neighborly. They're a Good Samaritan. But I want to unpack it this week in looking at what actions did the Good Samaritan take in Jesus' very famous parable about the Good Samaritan that made him neighborly. We're doing a two-week series here on me and my neighbor. And last week, we looked at the characters in both the context and then in the parable that Jesus used to address the context. Let's just quickly review them. The first person 
in the context of this story in Luke chapter 10 was the... It was a religious expert, right? Right. We called him the questioner. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he came to Jesus asking... What must I do to inherit eternal life? Only there was not a common intent behind it. No, no, no. Mm. It wasn't that he wanted to know. He wanted to maybe prove that Jesus didn't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because he said it to test him, right? Because his group, the religious professionals had real issues with Jesus. They resented him. They thought mm -hmm. that he was not affirming mm -hmm. of them. Mm -hmm. And so he was really kind of the designated man to corner Jesus yeah. with a tough question. So the whole parable of the Good Samaritan is a story that Jesus tells with other characters in order to answer this questioner's need. And he starts off, the man recites the law. You know, Jesus says, what will the law say? And the man recites the law and says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And instead of responding with, how do we do that? The man further seeks to trick Jesus and plays this whole game of, well, who's my neighbor? See? To get himself out of the corner, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, then Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, and there are a couple of characters in there to unpack. First, the character of the man in need. This person was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he is beaten and stripped of his belongings and left for dead. So we looked at that person. He really represents all of us, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. We look at who could be a neighbor to him, and Jesus then next talked about the priest. And the priest looked at the man but didn't stop, yep. kept going, and some of the reasons why we looked at? Possibilities, uh, ceremonial purity, just being completely distracted by the responsibilities of his office. Okay. Probably was on a schedule. He probably was on duty, you know, within a few yeah. hours. Yeah. I mean, that's a possibility, It too. is. And the second person who didn't stop as well was a Levite. Temple assistant, who also would have had similar kind of possible restrictions, although Jesus doesn't paint it that way, it doesn't seem. And then Jesus surprises them by placing another person in the parable, a person who does stop to help, who goes to extensive sacrifice to help. And this person was the... A racially unacceptable person. Yeah, mm -hmm. good mm -hmm. Samaritan. He stops and is a neighbor. So help comes from an unlikely yep. source. Yep. And that's where we stopped. Jesus' point in this parable is to redefine who our neighbor is and to redefine how we love God. It's by being in love with Jesus and by loving others as Jesus would love them. And now this week we want to unpack, well, what did that look like? How did that good Samaritan love his neighbor? What did being neighborly mean and what can we learn from it as a way that we too can love our God? back. And so today I want us to just look at kind of an overview of what being neighborly looks like. And we're going to look at the element of care, how the good Samaritan cared. Can we read? Let's pick it up in verse 30 and mm -hmm. go down to 33. Okay, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits and they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Bill, how does your translate have verse 33? But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. You know, this Samaritan comes closer than the other two. The priest just looked, 
and kept going. The Levite drew a little bit closer and looked, but then kept going. And now the phraseology here is a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. You get this idea that he drew close to him. He got very close. Now, he wouldn't have had the same concerns about becoming unclean and therefore not being able to execute his temple duties as the priest and the Levite. But might he still have had concerns? Well, yeah, because first of all, to the Jews, the Samaritans were hated and despised. But to the Samaritans, it was the Jews that were hated Mm -hmm. and despised. So he would have had every reason ethnically and religiously to say, I don't have to help him. In fact, might he hurt me? for helping him? Or might somebody else come along the road and see me trying to help him and give me a hard time for helping him because I'm a Samaritan and he's a Jew? So there's a risk in here. What happened that made him act? There's a trigger. And the trigger is, regardless of the translation, either he had compassion or he took pity on him. But there was something that happened in his heart that triggered all the other actions. And that triggered does not seem to be present in the priest and the Levite. That seems to be the differential that Jesus is making. I love that. The word compassion really talks about care from the innermost parts. Mm. It's been said, love that controls all aspects of your being. You know, so Jesus and this expert in the law just had this conversation about how do you inherit eternal life? And the guy says, by fulfilling the law, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's a love that controls all aspects of your being. And yet Jesus points out that the religious types actually weren't able to do it. The Samaritan comes and he looks and he takes pity or he has compassion. It's like he almost can't help himself. So the implication is the unreligious people that you despise are actually closer to the law than you guys that are teaching the law, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm, Yeah. mm -hmm. In fact, this took pity on him, this had compassion on him, are words that are used to describe how Jesus responded to people over and over again in Scripture. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, that's where Jesus has compassion on the crowds. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Okay. Yeah. And you know, he even had compassion on the cross. Remember yeah. when he looked down and he said, Father, forgive them. They yeah. don't realize what they're doing. Yeah. Or when the crowds had been listening to him for a long time mm-hmm. in the Sermon on the Mount and he's compassionate because they're hungry and he tells the disciples to get food. Compassion on the widow who's lost her son in Luke 7. They carry him out on a beer and she's weeping and he has compassion. Jesus is filled with compassion. As we look at this good Samaritan, what makes him good, (laughs) what makes him a good neighbor, is the trigger, as you said, Bill. This trigger of compassion is what I think makes the difference between looking and going on as the priest and the Levite and looking and acting Jesus himself had compassion, a compassion that took him to action. Right. So if somebody says, so was Jesus really just telling the story to show us how to be a good neighbor? Mm -hmm. There's no doubt that this story illustrates what being neighborly looks like. But the bigger message of not just the parable, but the conversation is that here was an expert in the law who was doing his best religious dance to prove that he knew how to inherit eternal life. And Jesus undid him 
Jesus undid him by telling the story of a man in need and of a very unlikely person who responded. And did that religious expert see himself in the man in need? I don't know. But here's the reality. Jesus is redefining not only who our neighbor is, but who we are and how we love God in response to his loving us. And maybe by helping us to realize, as the religious expert hopefully understood, how much we need mercy because how far short we fall of that kind of love. All right. In this episode of the podcast, our study of the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10 continues. Now in part one, we looked at all the characters in Jesus' story. And then as we just began part two, we started to talk about how compassion and actually caring about our neighbor is the trigger, the catalyst for being neighborly in a Good Samaritan kind of way. Love cares, and compassion is where it begins. And that caring and compassion are a huge first component of being a good neighbor. But I almost don't have to tell you that there are a lot of things in life that we care about, but we don't do anything about. Caring doesn't always progress into action. And so now, Elisa and Mart and Bill are going to build on that conversation about how love cares by exploring how in the parable of the Good Samaritan, we also see that love acts. So Elisa begins with this question. How do you know somebody loves you? Hmm. I've heard it a couple of different ways. One is the reminder, love is not only a noun, it's also a verb. Uh Hmm, That's Uh, good. And the other way is, Sometimes you spell love, T-I-M-E. Time. It reminds me, have you heard the conversation about love languages? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You remember what that's about? Yes. Yeah, Gary Chapman. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. His book on love languages where he talks about five different ways we communicate love. Yeah, and we mm-hmm. tend to f- hear love expressed to us or see love mm-hmm. when it's in our language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Isn't that funny? But we tend yeah. to love people mm-hmm. in our language, but they may not receive it. Right. Yeah. They may have a different love language, which is kind of his big pop, his yeah. aha moment yeah. is, yeah. can I learn to love you in your language? In your language. Yeah. So it's recognition of the other person's need. Yep. What That's do they right. need? And also what language do they speak? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they don't communicate in a language they don't understand. And can we, perhaps one of the most sacrificial gestures of love is to learn to speak someone yeah. else's language. Become bilingual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're looking at being neighborly in our second week on the Good Samaritan on Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 35. And we've got a context here. We want to stop and review it. But, you know, this week we're looking at the acts of love, of what it looks like to be a good neighbor. But let's review for ourselves as we get back into that, why do we even care? Why is love so important? And so the context of Jesus illustrating what a neighbor looks like is a conversation between a very proud religious leader who comes to Jesus and asks, how can I inherit eternal life in order to trip up Jesus? Yeah, it's not like he really wants to know. He thinks he knows, yeah, right? What he wants to prove is that Jesus doesn't know. Yeah. And Jesus ends up proving that the yeah. religious leader doesn't know. He turns it on him. It's so interesting because he starts out trying to put Jesus in a corner, mm-hmm. and he ends up trying to get himself out of a corner that Jesus puts him in. You know, at some point, you have to believe, I say this with all due respect, but these guys must have been really slow learners <laughs> because they keep trying these tricks, and they always end up on the bad end of the situation. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I love that tongue-in-cheek, Bill. I know that's how you mean it. And we are not that different. You yeah. know, you would think we would be 
quicker studies and get this. My goodness, how many years have we been reading this book that we have in front of us, the Bible? And yet still, I mean, I must feel as dense to Jesus as this man did. I must. Yesterday, we looked at being neighborly or loving God by loving our neighbors looks like having compassion. It looks like caring. And today we want to see a second element to it. But let's read the parable. Again, this parable is Jesus' answer to an expert in the law who's trying to trick him up about how do I inherit eternal life. And Jesus goes, what does the law say? The expert says, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And instead of going, how do I do that? He goes, who's my neighbor? And so then Jesus tells this story. So let's read this. We're going to just read verses 30 to 35. And let's look at what made this person a good neighbor. What did he do? Okay, start verse 30 of Luke 10. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Okay, he cared. That was our first element of being neighborly. Verse 34. And going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man in his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Wow. This was huge. This was huge. This is a whole list of things. But if I could just for today, I want to summarize them under one word, and it's this man acted. Mm -hmm. He does something. So we saw yesterday that he cared. That's exorbitant. That's sacrificial. That's expensive just to care. And then his care pushed him into action. Mm -hmm. He acts, and we're going to look at this whole slew of things that he did. But can we just stay with the large understanding that he didn't just care? He put his care into action. Yeah. And, I mean, we're confronted with so many what they call cause marketing type things today, opportunities to care. Mm -hmm. And they're hoping that we won't just care. They're hoping we're going to act. And one of the big challenges that I face is how do you sift through all that and figure out, okay, what do I respond to? I can't respond to everything. If this man represents what it's like to be a good neighbor, and if this man is an illustration of what it's like to not keep the law, but to let God love us and to love him back in our daily lives, okay? And I think what Jesus is saying here is that you always need to care and you always need to act in one shape or another. It may take different expressions, but if we've truly come to understand that we have a relationship with him, not by doing all the right things, but then we want to love him back as an overflow of receiving his love, then we're going to always want to respond. Are we not? I wonder how the man who asked Jesus the question, the religious expert, Mm. I wonder if he was sitting around our table with us and he heard us talking about this. I wonder how how he would respond. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think that, you know, when you have the two commandments— Love the Lord your God, da 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 and your neighbor as yourself. With the priest and the Levite who did nothing, 
they were saying, well, yeah, but it's because we care about God. We we're were, go serve we're him. putting first mm-hmm. things first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that takes precedent over the caring about this person. Mm-hmm. And maybe the religious leader would echo that kind of a sentiment. Well, our first job mm-hmm. is to love God. So then you wonder whether or not if he was sitting at the table with us, whether you would hear us struggling with our question, how do we do this? How do we show actively that we really care for our neighbor? I wonder if what Jesus was saying in this story would cause a person like this to begin to reflect on himself and on his community and say, I guess we haven't been thinking about that too much. I wonder if we look at a different passage and see if we have an answer to that question, Mark, because this man was a a scribe, an expert in the law, and there's another story of an expert in the law, Luke chapter 7, verse 44 down to 47. This is the story of Simon the Pharisee and Jesus being anointed by a sinful woman. Yeah, Jesus goes to his house for a meal. A woman comes in, anoints him, and Jesus accepts it. And the religious leaders there react internally against that. And let me just say, the question is, which person is going to love more? Now, verse 44. Turning toward the woman, Jesus said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. Okay, verse 47, Mart. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. This is another turn things on their ear story. But I think they both make the same point. When we see ourselves as, I'm going to love God by keeping all of the rules. That's maybe a language of love I learned from an old school. But Jesus turns it upside down. And he says, being neighborly or being a person who's in right relationship with me is a whole different thing. It means you're going to care. And it means you're going to express your care in a different language, a language that's of a different world. That's what happens with this good Samaritan. He acts beautifully. (laughs) He acts with care, and then he puts it into action. Yeah. When it comes to knowing the rules of the love of God, we're not really in a position to take pride in the fact that we know the rule. The question is, are we being true to God by expressing his spirit, mm-hmm. his compassionate for those in front of us mm-hmm. who need our help. So if we can understand our need as the sinful woman did, then we're able to love God from that need. Why is action so important to Jesus? Why do we need to move beyond caring? I think because he did. <laughs> I think because he moved beyond caring. He cared And he acted. And I think that's what he saw in the, quote, sinful woman who anointed him. She let him love her, and she let herself be forgiven by him. And I think when we look at the Good Samaritan, here is a man who cared. And just as Jesus acted, this man began to act out the neighborly love. That's what it means, not to just care. Jesus was the ultimate neighbor to us, coming as an outsider to care for our need. Can we be his flesh and skin, caring and then acting in a new kind of love language to those we meet here in our everyday? Yeah, as Bill said at the beginning of that part of the conversation, love isn't just a noun. It's also a verb. Love 
acts, just as we see in the example of our Lord. And I think that's a major lesson and perspective that we can pick up from the parable of the Good Samaritan. Love cares and love acts. You're listening to the Discover the Word podcast and the study titled Me and My Neighbor. And when Mart and Bill and Elisa come back, they'll look at the Good Samaritan's role in the healing of this man in such desperate need. Something else the Samaritan did that we'll do when we're being a good neighbor. And they'll talk about that after this word about the Our Daily Bread devotional. Sometimes my life feels like a highway. I'm watching it all go by at 70 miles an hour, just hanging on from the back seat. It's important to slow down every once in a while and take some time to fill my tank with something good, like Our Daily Bread. Daily readings from the Bible, short stories and illustrations that give you strength for the day. Read Our Daily Bread online at odb.org or have a copy of the classic devotional sent to your home. Just call 800-535-5712. Don't allow life to pass you by. Choose to live on purpose. It doesn't take a lot of time, but Our Daily Bread helps keep me focused. I know I'll never regret spending more time in God's Word. Start your day with it, end your day with it, or any time in between. Request Our Daily Bread when you call 800-535-5712. That's 800-535-5712. Or read Our Daily Bread online at odb.org. We're talking about the Good Samaritan and talking specifically about ways in which this man acted that somehow then Jesus defined him as a good neighbor in a way. And we've talked about the fact that he cared. We talked about the fact that he acted. And today we're going to talk about the fact that he was involved in healing. He didn't just act. He actually was involved in the person's betterment. And so that's what makes me think about this. What's my first bent to respond to somebody who's physically ill or wounded? But before we go into that element of being neighborly, which is worthy of consideration, even though it may not have been Jesus' main point, let's remember the context and what we've been discovering in this story in the 10th chapter of Luke that has a story within it. (laughs) Remind us, as we review here, someone comes to Jesus asking a very difficult question, and Jesus then tells a parable to, quote, answer it. He doesn't really answer it, though, does he? So who is the person who comes to Jesus? An expert in religious law, mm-hmm. he asks, what we've seen was a very common question in Israel in the first century, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Mm-hmm. But his intent was to try to embarrass Jesus mm-hmm. or corner him. Mm-hmm. And Jesus tells him, well, what does the law say? Yeah. And he repeats it very religiously, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, and I wonder if the religious Pharisees and the religious leaders did not think that Jesus was honoring the law. So I'm wondering whether or not when the man asked the question, if he anticipated that Jesus would quote the law. Because remember, they're saying, but he and his followers don't follow mm-hmm. the law. And yeah. They said the same thing about Paul later yeah. on. Yeah. Well, actually, Jesus says what is written in the law. Jesus asks him and he quotes the law. But the fact that Jesus asked yeah. the question about yeah. law even may do. have surprised him and thrown him off balance. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. 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 And then in order to justify himself, his first motive was to test Jesus. His second motive was to self-protect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
to justify himself, he has to, okay, who's my neighbor? Mm-hmm. Yes, because uh, he's supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. And he goes, instead of, how do I do that? He says, well, who's my neighbor? Mm-hmm. And then Jesus tells a parable, a confusing parable, an upside down parable, where he talks about a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, being attacked, being plundered, being left beaten, half dead. And people go along this road. The first two don't help. And they were a priest and a Levite. Yep. Members of the same religious establishment that this expert in the law was a participant in. Mm-hmm. They don't help. An unlikely person stops to help, and it's a Samaritan. Mm-hmm. Now, why is a Samaritan an unlikely person? Because they're a racially mixed and actually a heretically religious group mm-hmm. in the eyes of the Jewish people. Right. They worship part of the Old Testament, but not all. They built their own temples because they weren't on the same page with Jews. And this, quote, Samaritan becomes a good Samaritan because he distinguishes himself from the Levite and the priest by doing what? By actually fulfilling the spirit of the law. There you go. Let's read the parable. And as we're looking at laying on this, what makes a neighborly act a good neighborly act. You'll see in his actions another element. We've already seen that he cared. We've already seen that he acted, but there's something else here. Let's pick up in verse 33 and read through 34. I'll start Luke 10, 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man in his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. And I'll go ahead and finish in 35. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you've had. And Jesus finishes this story by saying, okay, now which one of these people would you say was the neighbor? And he's going to say the one who showed him mercy. So Mm -hmm. there's something in the example of this parable that Jesus lifts out and said, this is what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself. We already know he saw him and he cared. And that care then caused a trigger to happen where he acted. Let's look deeply at the action here. In verse 33, he came to where he was, he took pity on him. And in verse 34, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Why would he do that? Well, that was medical treatment mm-hmm. in their day. You know, when I was a kid and I'd cut myself or something, mom would grab the methylate. Right. But this probably was doing a similar thing, protecting from infection. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I love yeah. that. The bandages would, of course, protect the wounds from dirt and infection. But then pouring on oil and wine before that, oil to soothe, mm-hmm. wine to cleanse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because those were not only staples in a first aid kit, they were also part of what you would take for food preparation mm-hmm. and things like that as well. So it would be the kind of thing that probably he would have, especially mm-hmm. if he's on a journey. So in his being neighborly, he provided a very rudimentary, common first aid treatment to the man in need. He did another thing, though. He took him to an inn. Probably, I guess is the word here is more like a rooming house than mm-hmm. just a place to rest. That's getting super involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he could have dropped him off someplace and paid somebody else to take care of him. But the first level of care he gives on the side of the road, the second level of care he gives at the inn, mm-hmm. and then the third level of care he pays for. Good. In fact, in verse 35, it says the next day, so punch pause there, he took him to an inn. Then the next day, 
So you have the impression that he could have stayed up all night with a guy, Mm -hmm. changing the wounds, Mm -hmm. making sure he had something to eat, maybe not getting sleep himself. So there was a bit of a sacrifice here. Okay, now in verse 35, where you were taking us, Bill, the next day, what does he do? He took two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, look after him. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense. All right. So here's what I notice here. It looks like he gives instructions to someone else to take care of the man in need while he goes about whatever business he had. Mm. And I don't know about you, but I can get kind of moralistic about being all perfect with my Christianism. You know, have I given my 10% tithe? Have I given alms to the poor? Have I taken care of the person around me? And if I left off one of those, then bad, Elisa. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we can do that kind of offering healing to the detriment of ourselves, healing to the point where we're hurt. Mm -hmm. And not to take it too far, but he kind of enlists other people's help. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. admirable. You mm-hmm. don't, when you're being neighborly, I don't know that Jesus intends for us to kill ourselves in the process. Right. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Then you talk about being moralistic. What if somebody says, yeah, but would the story work if, let's say, the Good Samaritan had no oil and wine, no bandages, and no money in his pocket? I love that. Then what? Because oh. I think sometimes mm-hmm. in the idea of being a good neighbor, we feel like, how? What have I got? to offer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what would happen to the story if he didn't have those? So do you have to be rich? Do you have to always be the one doing everything to be a good neighbor? And is that Jesus' point? Yeah, but I think even before that, you come back behind the ax was the heart. Mm -hmm. And you can be a good neighbor with the caring heart, even if you don't have the means to do. Mm -hmm. You can still Mm -hmm. show and display and invest that care and compassion. And that's where it started. He was the one who showed mercy. Mm -hmm. We can disqualify ourselves from being neighborly in this sense because we A, don't have enough money, or B, don't have enough time, or C, don't have the skills. And is that the point? If the Samaritan had come and simply sat beside the man in need, would that still have been And called for help, maybe. Mm-hmm. urged mm-hmm. others passing by to mm-hmm. come and help us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually why I'm trying to principalize this a little bit as we look at what being neighborly looks like. He saw, he looked, okay, and he cared. And then he acted, he got involved. And then, yes, he was involved in healing. Can we do that? Do we have to do that all ourselves? Or do we do it from an attitude of recognizing need around us and showing mercy toward it? Mm-hmm. Those are principles. Care and act and heal. That might be expensive, but it might be the expense of our presence. Anyway, it's the person who shows mercy, and it's the person who shows mercy lots of times because we understand our need for mercy ourselves and that someone has shown us mercy once upon a time. And that's the spirit of the law. And if we realize that we have not lived up to that, then maybe that's where we call upon God for mercy. Have mercy on me for not living up to that which is true to you, O God. We had the privilege together to have Ann Voskamp as a guest on Discover the Word a while ago, and we were talking about her book, The Broken Way, really about how the broken thing can become the beautiful thing in God's hands. And I remember one of the things she chatted about, and she challenged us deeply to live out our brokenness, was this acronym, G-I-F-T, GIFT. It really came out of her own understanding of how God lived a cruciform life, she would call it. 
in order to be in relationship with us. And gift is give it forward today. You know, as you've been broken, give back your brokenness. Many of its points have stuck with me. And one specific practice was she challenged us to give it forward today, to give to people around us in such a way that we'd be giving them the hope of Jesus that's in us. Do you remember that conversation? Yes, I do. Mm -hmm. Have you tried that? Have you tried giving it forward today? Something my wife and I have done, because in years past, one of the areas in life where we've really struggled was with our finances and Mm -hmm. debt and a lot of things. And now we're in a point where those issues the Lord has provided and we're in a better place. But when we're eating in places, we look for people in the restaurant and pay their bill. Wow. Just because Mm -hmm. when we were going through difficult times, people did things for us that we Mm -hmm. could never repay. And sometimes that we never even knew who it was who did it. Mm -hmm. And so we'll just say, hey, would you bring us their bill? We'd Mm -hmm. like to pay that too. Mm -hmm. But just don't tell them. Just tell them it's covered. The tip's covered. Everything's Mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. And there's this wonderful sense when you see their faces, when Mm -hmm. the server comes Uh over and says, uh, you know, and you just (laughs) see that surprise. I love that. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And when you do it quietly or you do it with a different kind of understanding, something shifts inside. So I hang on to that. And we're going to go back into this Luke chapter 10, where we've been for several days now. This is a story within a story. And this week, especially, we've been focusing on the parable part that's held within a story that Luke reports. The parable part is the story of the Good Samaritan. A Good Samaritan who, traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, sees a man in need who's been beaten and plundered and just was almost dead, and he stops and he helps. Unlike the priest and the Levite, the two religious folks who knew the law and kept every little bit of it, who didn't stop, this Samaritan, this person from outside of the faith, he stops And he takes care of this man in need. And Jesus then uses this illustration of this man who stopped, he is the neighbor because he shows mercy to a man in need. And then we all should be neighbors that way. But he's talking about something bigger than that. This story is set within another story. And before we go on to look at how this good Samaritan was acting neighborly, can you all remind us what is the main story about? To which Jesus answers with this parable. Well, there was a community of people who were centered in the law and in the study of the law and in the defense of Moses and the way of life that God gave to us through Moses. Mm-hmm. And so there was a representative of that community, a religious expert who came to Jesus with a question. A sincere mm-hmm. question, but with a bad kind of underpinning yeah. motive, right? He wanted to entrap Jesus into somehow saying something that would discredit him. He says, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds in a very scribe-like way by saying, what's the law say? You're the expert in the law. What's the law say? And he responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And then the legal expert responds to Jesus' response by saying, who's my neighbor? And so then Jesus tells this story. But the big picture of the story is not, go be a perfect neighbor. The big picture of the story is Jesus redefining how our world works, that we don't have to keep every single law. That's impossible. We can't do that. Instead, we are like the man in need, you and me. And God sent an outsider, his son, mm. to save us in our moment. Okay, now looking at that, what did that outsider do? 
to the man in need. And that's what we're looking at in being mm-hmm. a good neighbor, being neighborly this week. And we've talked about how he had compassion, about how he acted. We're talking about the Good Samaritan now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And a good neighbor has compassion. He acts. He helped with the healing. And there's one other thing he does. He gives. Mm-hmm. And that's where I've been thinking about Anne's comment about gift, about give it forward today. And this is where I want to get a little bit honest. Read these verses, just 34 and 35, and see the extent to which the Samaritan went to help the man in need. What does he do? In verse 34, Mark, do you have that? It says, going over to him, which would be the man who had been beaten up, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. There's a lot of finance in this. Yeah, denarii, I think, was about the equivalent of one day's wage, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you're talking about one day's worth of pay twice. You know, who knows what business has brought this Samaritan to Jericho, mm-hmm. but he's taken a lot of his salary mm-hmm. to help this guy. And a donkey was expensive. The man puts him on the donkey. He probably ends up walking the rest of the way. So it was expensive and it was taxing for him. This was true hospitality. Maybe he even gave up his own room. Maybe he gave up his sleep in the Mm -hmm. wee hours of the night. We don't know. He did enlist the innkeeper to help. He didn't do it all himself. Then he goes on. He says, when I return, if there's a bigger bill, Mm -hmm. I'll take care of that. So he shared his goods and his time and his life. Do we just give when we have surplus? Or is this more of a lifestyle that God invites us into, to be aware of the needs around us and how God might meet them through us? I kind of relate to the expert in the law at times. I think, well, I want to take that challenge and share with everybody around me. And Here's what I went through not long ago. I was in the grocery store, and a woman in front of me in line was buying a birthday cake. And I watched her. She was clearly a single mom. She had about a three-year-old with her in the grocery cart who was just hugging on her, and you could tell they had just been reunited from daycare. And this mom was so sweet, and she was talking to the clerk, and she goes, well, no, I think I need to get some candles, too. Well, this is for my dad. No, no, this is for his birthday. Yeah, well, how much is this going to be? And Anne's words came back to me, and I went, oh. And I went, Lord? should I pay for this cake? You know, and I felt in that moment very much drawn to pay for the cake. And this is what went on inside me. Is this cool, God? Are you impressed? Is this Mm -hmm. awesome? Am I doing it right here? (laughs) That's a a very normal response, though. Isn't it very difficult to give of yourself without being self-aware? That's right. Without looking for the reward at the other end. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. so much a part of our own DNA. It's just the way we're built. And it could have been enough reason for me not to give. Because, oh, I don't want to mess up that way, God. But, you know, for me in that moment, and this is for me in that moment, it was a joy to step in Mm -hmm. to taking care of the $18 cake or whatever it was. I did have enough money that day to do it. And I gave it. I was scared. And I thought, be careful. Don't go too crazy receiving this, Elisa. And I just said, hey, you know what? You would do the same thing. You would do the same thing if you saw this. And there was something so joyful that was kind of popped open inside of me. There was an understanding that I'm giving simply because Jesus has given to me. And for no other reason, Mm -hmm. I'm giving it forward. So that had a way of setting aside some of the pride, Mm -hmm. some of the look at me, right? Because you realize what had been done for you. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I mean, haven't I been that man in need? Haven't you been that man in need? And someone has come and 
taken a piece and given to us in that moment. We all have. And so this story within a story is a beautiful story of an unlikely person acting out the definition of what it means to be neighborly. But it's set within a larger story of us all being people in need, coming to God and going, how do I inherit eternal life? And God going, this is how. You too are like a man in need whom someone was sent to come and love you. An outsider came Mm -hmm. to love you, to give to you. So there's a sense in which you've changed the question now. Mm -hmm. So you're not saying, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then saying, oh, I know, I'll buy this birthday cake. That's not what you said. No, no. No, and I think you're onto something there, Mark, because what Jesus has done is he has reversed Mm -hmm. the terms of engagement in this debate with this guy because this guy starts off saying, who is my neighbor that I'm supposed to help? And Jesus says, wait a minute, you are the person that the neighbor needs to help. So who are you going to let come and be your neighbor in that sense? And in a deep way, we all are the person in need, needing to be rescued. Once we've been rescued, how can we show others that same kind of provision in their time of need? Yeah, that's a different and helpful way of thinking about the Good Samaritan, isn't it? I'm glad you're with us as we explore this together here on Discover the Word in this two-part study called Me and My Neighbor. And we now just have one more conversation left. And so Elisa and Mart and Bill are going to wrap this up by circling back to the question, who is my neighbor? That sound like a familiar question? Yeah, it's one of the questions that prompted Jesus to tell this story. And I think we'll see once again, this parable is about way more than just being neighborly, a whole lot more. So the conclusion of Me and My Neighbor follows a quick preview of what our next Discover the Word podcast is about. There's more Bible study to come on the next Discover the Word podcast when Elisa and Bill will be joined at the table by Daniel Ryan Day and Rasul Berry to talk about the much-anticipated return of Christ. You have questions about that? Yeah, I'll bet you do. We do, too. And we won't answer them all, but we will have some helpful and hopeful conversations in that series called, He's Coming Back. The important thing is Jesus is coming back. We can have a really healthy discussion, debate, (laughs) however you want to frame it, on the mechanics of how that may or may not operate. But the big idea is he said, I will come again, and I believe him. And that reminds me of the statement of faith that Christians have actually agreed Mm. on Mm -hmm. for thousands of years, which is Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Yeah. Yeah, he's coming back next time on the Discover the Word podcast. And now the conclusion of our two-part study of Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan. I'm going to say some words. Tell me where you've heard these. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. New Testament, the Gospels. Yes. I mean, obviously they come from where we've been landing in Luke chapter 10, the story of an expert in the law coming to Jesus and asking how he can inherit eternal life and Jesus really long-term answering him with a parable of what we know as the Good Samaritan. What is the basic idea that Jesus is trying to communicate? It seems that Jesus is trying to peel back the layers of self-defense that this religious 
expert has and is trying to expose to him his own need rather than the self-sufficiency that he seems to be approaching Jesus with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and another way of saying that might be that the big picture of the New Testament and of Jesus is that he has come to do for us what the law itself mm-hmm. could not do or mm-hmm. what our attempts to keep the law could not do for ourselves. And this whole love the Lord your God with all of your being is what he wants. We're not able to do that yeah. in and of ourselves How are we able to fulfill that great commandment to love the Lord our God with all of ourselves, as well as loving our neighbors as ourselves? How can we do that? We can only do it as we respond to his love for us, first of all. I mean, we love him because he first loved us. So the first thing is we can only love God at all as we respond to his love that he's loved us with. And that's in part, and that's in degree, out of what he has given Mm -hmm. to us. That's right. So it starts with... Receiving Mm -hmm. his love. And then it starts with being empowered by his love. I mean, we can't really love to the depth and the richness that that statement seems to be calling to without the help of the Holy Spirit, because the fruit of the Spirit is love. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're first going to receive it, and then we're going to be responding with it, and then we're going to let him actually exercise his love through us Mm -hmm. by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And by consciously acknowledging what we can't do or haven't done Mm -hmm. by ourselves. And so we can become neighborly, if you will, like the Good Samaritan was. We can see and have compassion and act and heal and give to those around us. I still struggle with that. And we've had prior conversations about almost we can fall into a temptation to check the list off of, okay, now Mm -hmm. I'm loving right. Now you like me, God? I'm loving correctly even. Mm -hmm. But we only do that by his power. Mm -hmm. There's another, I guess this is a bit of a spiritual exercise that I find myself using to try and participate in loving God the way he wants to be loved. And that's the idea of actually seeing Jesus in every person that I meet. I mean, there's something in each person that when I love them, I'm loving Jesus. Where do you get that idea? I've been getting it in Luke 10. As we've been looking at this passage, I've been thinking about the man in need, and I've been thinking about how he's attacked, he's stripped, he's beaten, he's abandoned, he's half dead. And this Samaritan comes along, and he has compassion. He looks at him. He puts him on his donkey. He bandages his wounds and pours on oil and wine, and he takes him to an inn. And he takes care of him. And I think Jesus says that one who had mercy on him is a neighbor. And I think, wow, in a way, that man who had mercy is absolutely Jesus. He's caring for all of us who are in need. But can I see in my caring for others who are in need that I'm actually loving God back, that I'm loving him as my neighbor, as myself? Well, and that's where I'm going. Yeah. And Jesus talked about in that day, I will say to you, I was in prison and you visited me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and you fed me. And they'll say, well, when did we see you that way and do that? And he said, in that you've done it to the least of these. Mm-hmm. You've done it to me. Yeah, that's in Matthew chapter 25. Yeah. And there is a way in which we reach out to any person in need. It's like what we've been tracing through this progression of receiving love and participating in love, giving love. We become a part of God's love working here on this planet by his power. We've become both an illustration of it. And we also, I think, receive his love because it's so pleasing to us both to be Mm -hmm. in that kind of loving relationship. So in a sense, then, when you see somebody in need, 
it sounds to me like you're at least consciously or unconsciously realizing that God loves that child. God loves that prisoner. Mm -hmm. God loves that person who is so despondent right now. And you're, in a sense, wanting to show that person something of what you know God already. You want to be in sync with, or you mm -hmm. want to be true to an emotion that you believe is in God's heart first, right? You want to care for what God cares for. Yeah. It's maybe almost like I am a participant in his great love story for another person. It's like God's going to love someone else through me as yeah. I love him through them. Yeah. Why wouldn't your first thought be to look for Jesus in yourself, in your own heart, rather than seeing Jesus see in the hurting there. person? No, yeah. but we believe the scriptures tell us mm -hmm. that in Christ, Christ is in us, right? Yeah. I think that's right, but I think that goes back to the fruit of the Spirit again. If we look for Christ in us, it's for the help and the ability and the willingness to do the thing that reflects well on him. It's not so much because, well, see, he's in me, therefore. We look to him within to enable our actions, and that then expresses his love to the least of these. Mm -hmm. We can get all convoluted and tied up here in a knot, I think, because the second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. But there is this flow of relationship that it's only possible when we're in right relationship with God. But when I'm in relationship with God, who first loved me, and I learn to receive his love for me, then I'm able to give out of that love. And for me to be a neighbor, to act neighborly, is to understand that as this expert in the law went to Jesus and talked about how do I inherit eternal life, Jesus is really talking about an ongoing relationship that we enjoy and others enjoy with him as they see him in us and we see him in them. That's complicated, but to me, that's another way I put it into practice, is I look for Jesus in my everyday I wonder if maybe we read the passage one more time, because once again, God surprises us with this upside down, revolutionizing our expectations. It's not about doing right things and being a neighbor in order to inherit eternal life. It's about letting God love us in our need and change us in such a way that we can be his vehicles here in mm. our world. It started out with a scholar in Mosaic Law, tried to trap Jesus because apparently he and his friends thought that Jesus wasn't honoring Moses. Mm -hmm. So he wants to know, how would Jesus answer the question, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Mm -hmm. And Jesus turns it on him by saying, you're the expert in the law. Mm -hmm. Tell me what you think. And the guy gives the right answer. But without any awareness, mm -hmm. he's never loved God with his whole heart, no. soul, and mind, or nor loved his he. neighbor or himself, nor have any of us. That's right. Yeah. Mm. He says, the law says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, you've answered correctly, do this in your live. But he wanted to justify himself. He says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story, and he ends with, the neighbor is the one who had mercy on the man in need. Go and do likewise. It's an invitation to be in an ongoing relationship where we see ourselves as the person in need and we see God as having mercy on us by giving an outsider to be neighborly towards us, his own son. Someone has had mercy on us and going and doing likewise in the lives around us. A great way to conclude this series on the parable of the Good Samaritan. Everything we do is driven by what Christ 
has already done. And because Christ has been our neighbor, we can be neighbors to those around us. Our friend Haddon Robinson, who was at the table with us for so many years, had a great way of summarizing who our neighbor is. And so Elisa is going to share that with us when she and Mart and Bill come back in just a moment to wrap this up. You're listening to Discover the Word with Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, and Bill Crowder in our series, Me and My Neighbor. Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the Scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. And over the years, we've heard from thousands and thousands of grateful listeners who start each morning by tuning in for the discussions on Discover the Word, or they listen in the car, or they listen while they're walking or exercising, or in the evening as they come to the end of their day. It's fascinating to hear how people discover the Word with us. And you probably know that these conversations are made possible because of friends like you who support us financially. Now, if you'd like to partner with us in telling the story of Jesus and helping people study the Scriptures, simply go to discovertheword.org and click on the Donate button. You can give safely and easily right there at discovertheword.org. Well, this really was an important study that we did together this time on Discover the Word, and so I'm going to ask Elisa and Mart and Bill to come back for one last word about me and my neighbor and the parable of the Good Samaritan. Elisa? Haddon Robinson used to approach this passage and talk about a neighbor is anyone whose need you see and whose need you're able to meet. There really are two stories within this passage, and we've looked at them. The story of an expert in the law who comes to Jesus kind of proud that he's kept the law, that he thinks that's going to get him into heaven. And Jesus responding to his need with a parable of an unlikely person who was actually neighborly, a good Samaritan. As we think about this going forward, maybe there's a couple of things for us to keep in mind too. One, our own need, our desperate need that we can never meet the law's requirements to be in relationship with God. If that's what we're depending on. Because we're always going to fall short. And the other thing to understand that We have been loved so well by God, by an outsider who came to include us, that we can receive that love and learn to give that love to every human around us we're able to. When I read these words then, these great commandments, they take on a different meaning for me, for us going forward. Let's read them together. Bill, you want to start? Love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And Mart? And love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, and our hope is that you'll think differently about those words when you hear them from now on. Love God, love others, love your neighbor. Well, thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.